a golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> I don't know who's weirder, you or me. You just put the law in my hands. I'm gonna break your heart. Nobody puts baby in the water. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. There is Hello and welcome back to Movies for Life. I am one of your co-hosts, Brian Kuyper. And I'm your other co-host, Michelle Egan. And today we have for you a couple of male friendship buddy movies. So uh, we're going to talk about one of the greatest masterpieces of American film, the deconstruction of masculinity. And we're also going to talk about deliverance. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> Come on, I had to. Um, anyway, <laughs> this is one of those uh, insane double features that originally this was going to be Butch C- Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was yeah. going to be our first feature. And um, our second feature has remained constant, which is Beavis and Butthead do America. <laughs> and I thought, no, you can't top that for a double feature and then michelle was like i don't know if i'm really feeling butch cassidy and sundance kid I like i like it but it's not one that i love or have seen as much yeah, as yeah. the one that we eventually decided to go with which was well, deliverance <laughs> well the thing is you, you brought up a couple others and i was like yeah okay and then you said deliverance and i was like that's it <laughs> that is the what that's what we've got to do that is i mean Granted, I mean, who would pair these two together? I don't know. Except uh, us. And maybe Lindsay Wilkins over at right. Schlockenau. <laughs> Again, Lindsay, we hope you're proud of us. Yeah, I, I think this is this is one of those doubles for the ages. This is one cut of the dead singing in the rain level. Yeah. Cool, great, amazing. And so I am so psyched. Um, I hadn't seen Deliverance in a long time. And all seriousness, it is really is one of the greatest American movies ever. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there is, um, I remember always thinking it was a really good movie, but this time it floored me just how great it is. And um, I've Beavis some butthead on the do America. I've seen recently <laughs> because a couple of times because my son, I showed it to him because I thought it'd be funny uh, to watch it with him. And he loved it. I mean, loved it. So I've watched it several times over the past year or so. (laughs) It just kind of hits the sweet spot. And I don't know. I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. This movie makes me laugh so hard. Oh, yeah. And I get so much joy out of watching it every time. And I just don't get tired of it. I, I should get tired of it, but I just don't get tired of it. I find them hilarious, much to my wife's chagrin. 
We will talk about why that might be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we talk about Beavis and Butthead, but I'm glad to hear that uh, Beavis and Butthead have survived to this, you know, to another generation. <laughs> you know, I know, which as is funny as we wild. did. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, Beavis and Butthead do the, do the universe just came out this mm-hmm. last year. I want to see that uh, so There's a rebooted... The show has been rebooted uh, with Mike Judge working on it. Um, I think it's all just kind of surprising that this sort of throwaway, you know, the culture is burning down, you know, according to the critics thing from the 90s is still here and with us and kind of great. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, it's yeah. kind of amazing. But we are going to start with Deliverance because doing it the other way, I yes. don't think we would get through it um, with a straight face. I don't think it would work. I don't know if that would be as respectful to Deliverance. As yeah, exactly. What de- that's not what Deliverance deserves. No. Because uh, I agree, this is genuinely one of my favorite movies ever. And I kind of, yeah. it was one of those like kind of a slow realization of that because I'm pretty sure I first saw this when I was in high school, I want to say, just because I was trying yeah. to watch all catch up on all those famous movies that you know you've heard about and it's one that i've just sort of been i kept coming back to every year every couple of years i would watch it again and it was just kind of the slow like damn this is such a good movie it's such a good movie and i would definitely consider it one of one of my favorites now i first heard about deliverance when we went and saw city slickers in the theater as a family and there's this scene where Billy Crystal is out on his own trying to catch some strays with uh, Jack Palance. And Palance is like sharpening a knife and stuff. And he's kind of freaking out. And he goes, oh, God, it's deliverance. And, you know, and I was like, I have no idea what this is. But my parents and all the people over, you know, 30 in the audience laughed. And it was kind of like, I have no idea what that is. So I... discovered over later years you know you hear certain things you know get on your knees and square like a pig boy you know the dueling banjos certain moments that i think when they're focused on kind of i mean they work wonder they work they're so important to the movie but they are not the movie no there's so many other things that are so more much more important than those couple of sequences and i think there are other things that are actually more memorable those sequences, oh, yeah. I mean, I think the dueling banjos gives a lot of flavor to the movie. It sets up some things with Drew uh, as well. And there's sort of the banjo boy is sort of a harbinger of doom kind of character, I guess. Something that's just there representing what this world they're entering is like uh, when they cross under the bridge and he's over the top mm-hmm. swinging his banjo back and forth. But the rape scene is actually, it needs to be in the movie, but it's other scenes that surround it that are far more important to yeah. what the movie's talking about. And that's one thing I just, I don't really like, though, is that the, it's those two scenes only that people think of when they think about this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's it's saying so much more and it's uh, really deconstructing so much more. Like the whole movie is a, is a metaphor, pretty much. and. Yeah. It's set up. I love that it's set up. Like we both said that we took so many notes, like just in the first fifteen minutes of this movie, because yeah. it's 
it sets everything up right at the beginning pretty much what the movie is is going to be about and what it's it's pretty much what's going to happen too and i've always loved these opening credits where it just starts with the just that dialogue over shots of the river and stuff i think it's that's brilliant to do and a good way to introduce the characters too and what they're talking about is like immensely important to the movie it's what (laughs) the the movie movie is about Uh, is about the vanishing wilderness and it's about the suburbs coming in and encroaching the suburbs sucking the electricity off of this Mm. uh, you know so that drowning this town so that they can have more electricity and air conditioning and all the comforts Mm -hmm. of life out in the suburbs and that's and he uses the word at the beginning it says you know gonna rape this whole landscape and yeah, I mean, that sets up right in the beginning. These guys are the representation of the city, of civilization, of um, the development that's going to destroy this natural landscape. And frankly, I think the people, the hill people um, that live in this town are nature. They're, um, yeah. I mean, they're shown as savage and dangerous at times, but they are human beings too they're not just villains i don't think entirely especially you know early in the film i'm obviously (laughs) we have a couple of characters that are frightening villainous kinds of characters they're really the only two Mm -hmm. bad ones that the rest of are just people trying to live their lives yeah 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 and they're disconnected from this sort of city life that these other guys represent and um the masculinity they are about it is yeah oh yeah yeah i think also you know this movie is masculinity you know the tropes of masculinity and the different forms of it broken down uh laid bare ripped to shreds in a lot of ways because each character sort of represents something different about what it means to be a man. Uh, I think especially a middle-aged man. Um, and I find that really fascinating. Yeah, I just, um, the Burt Reynolds as Lewis, like, um, you know, you haven't seen him yet, but his line here um, right at the beginning talking about that. I love what he says about drowning in the river, too. Yes. So they're drowning in the river, which sounds like, an oxymoron or something. Not an oxymoron, yeah, yeah, yeah. but that sounds wrong. Redundancy, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Just about the last wild, untamed, unpolluted, unfucked up river in the south is mm-hmm. the Kahulawasi River, where they're going to be taking this this canoe trip. And he talks about how this whole area is just going to be a big, dead lake. Yep. And again, it's the guys are trying. They're like, Lewis, you're crazy. You know, you can hear them like, you know, what are you talking about? You know, lakes are good recreation for people. And yeah, and he's on the side. He's at first on the side of nature. You think he's more yeah. in touch with nature than mm-hmm. the other guys are. But that gets slowly kind of stripped away, too, as the movie goes on. It does. And like I said, that's what I think, um, because if I'm looking at these four guys, um, Burt Reynolds, he's the man's man. He is mm-hmm. the epitome of masculinity. Oh yeah. He's, he's unmarried. He's lives, he, he's, he's able to one. survive. He lived <laughs> off the land. He's got tremendous guns. Uh, guns you yes. know, <laughs> yeah. uh, he can, he can shoot a fish with an arrow. He's an outdoorsman. Um, I mean, who could play this, but Burt Reynolds at that time? 
I mean, he he's was the guy that the, can do all that guy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The epitome of masculinity. The other guys are all married, which I think to Lewis is like lessens them as men to have wives and children makes them less of a man. I think also you look at the cars they drive. You've got Lewis has his SUV is this kind of off road kind of rough and tumble vehicle. And, mm-hmm. you know, Bobby and, and uh, Drew are driving a station wagon, a family car. Sure. Uh, and then of course, uh, Bobby played by Ned Beatty. He pokes fun of the fact that the fact that he's overweight you know, mm-hmm. he's looks down on him. He's soft, you know, and he's let himself his that civilized, comfy yeah. life has let him get soft. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and he's constantly I don't think, wondering if he can handle himself on the river. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think that Lewis thinks uh, the same way exactly about Drew. He just thinks he's kind of a wimp. I think mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think he's thinks he's, um, s- s- you know, he, he just means little to him at all it seems like um (laughs) so i friends with ed yeah and you know ed is an interesting character because he's somewhere in the middle of all this he he wants to sort of recapture this primal nature i guess but also has this family side of him and lewis asks him that important question that key question why do you come on these why do you come on these trips with me yeah which you know i think that is a big question that it's asking uh, just about again i really think that manhood and the meaning of manhood is such a ongoing thread through this movie mm-hmm. and ultimately the conclusion it comes to later in the film i find fascinating there's a particular line that's given that makes me think this might be where the movie comes down on it all and I'm not really entirely sure. That's something we can talk about when we get to the later yeah, part. I of feel the movie, dumb because I don't know what you're talking about. No, that's okay. <laughs> okay. But I mean, but I think some of the things that I like about this, you know, this opening sequence, you know, you have Bobby getting out of the car and he and he looks at the whole rusted out vehicle and he says, you know, my entire youth, you know, in this, and it's like their youth and innocence is gone, like that rusty old car. There's just a lot of metaphor and symbolism, I feel, in this movie. But it's also a hell of a story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, you know, so, I mean, that's one of the things. You can read this as just the story, or you can read it as sort of the literary layered piece that it is as well. And that's one of the things that's brilliant about it. And that's one of the things I love about 70s filmmaking and movies like, you know, I talk about Wes Craven a lot because I think... He made movies that were just a rollicking good time, but he's also got a lot going on underneath the surface. And I think that is a product of a lot of what was going on in 70s filmmaking and wanted to be very oh, yeah. literate. Um, and I, I dig that about this movie so much. It just sort of blew my mind at how great it was. And this scene where they are first like meeting up with the Hill people to get mm-hmm. them to drive their cars down to where they're going to be ending up at the end of their canoe trip. Um, Bobby is immediately out there to like make fun of them, you know, and say, yeah. like, look at all this junk. We got it. We must be at the end of the line here, you know, like the yeah. end of civilization, you know, and which is ironic like, when which, you think about the end of the movie, what is their proof that they're back at civilization? More A bunch of rusted cars. out old cars. Yeah. And it's the clash here between the the city. I mean, it's a really obvious metaphor going on. It's a clash between civilization and nature. 
but yeah. it's also Dueling like banjos even in that music you know you hear the mm-hmm. the, the title you know that's like we're do there's you've got the hill folk against the city folk there too the banjo and the guitar you know the the backwoods instrument and the and the folk city instrument and you have the guy who is supposedly like more in touch with nature he does have more respect for it than the other guys lewis i mean but still the way that he talks to these guys is still condescending in a way it is the way that he tries to you know get them to to do it what he needs them to do with the cars and everything and the way that uh bobby is just constantly in the back making fun of them um drew is the one that tries to connect with them on on their level with the dueling banjos and ed's just kind of an observer at first of all this um but what i love the most about the um the dueling banjos thing um the music is awesome i love this so much oh it's so good yeah (laughs) it is so good and the way that it just gets more intense and they're playing at the same time eventually and so fast Mm -hmm. you watch those the kids fingers yeah i was i was very impressed but the thing that is the most intriguing about that scene is at the end after they're done and drew is so excited or whatever is like oh that was so much fun i could play with this kid all day the kid and he goes to like um you know shake the kid's head hand or something and the kid looks away looks away like you can't no matter how much you try like you you can't connect with these people in any way um or something you know like i don't yeah. not exactly sure what they're saying like you can you can try but you're still coming from different worlds and you you have different ideas and they're like that you're never going to have a true connection you're never going to know them or what yeah. they, what their life is like you know because and, of the way that you live and if the hill people represent nature and the natural mm-hmm. world there's a couple of profound things that happen there he keeps going he keeps playing. Drew says, I'm lost. Yeah. He can't keep mm-hmm. up anymore. He can't keep and up with nature. <laughs> he's like, he, he can only get so far. And the, I mean, I'm probably, people are probably, you're reading a little bit too much into this. It's like, I but I don't so know. That. I don't think so. Honestly, I think that is intentional um, because he really does literally get lost. And physically, they are about to. You know, I mean, this mm-hmm. is, I mean, even. Even before they find the river, I mean, he, you know, uh, Lewis makes a wrong turn and, you know, it's like, well, all we this, fucked up. yeah, yeah <laughs> <that> exactly. <laughs> but I do love, there's some lines that just sort of set up as well the, in this opening sequence that, uh, set up what this relationship is going to be like between the four of them too. Like Ed says, Ed, uh, Lewis doesn't know Bobby really at all. Bobby is sort of like, he doesn't know any of them except for Ed. And his, mm-hmm. and Ed says to him, well, he's very thought of in his field. And Lewis says, insurance? insurance? Yeah. Shit. I've never had insurance in my life. There's no risk. Uh, so yeah. that sets up a lot. And, you know, people are, you know, the Hill people are asking him why the rivers is because it's there. I mean, the classic answer. No, he says, you know, what do you want to go fuck around with that river for? Exactly. It's like, because it's there. Yeah. And because uh, like they're, they're the ones that recognize Mm-hmm. Because they are of nature, they recognize in the power and the respect that you that, should have for nature. Exactly. Like Bobby in this scene too, like after the dueling banjos mm-hmm. too, he also just says, give him a couple of bucks, you know, Yeah. which is also like an insult mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. Yeah. Not that well, he I mean, deserves Ed, anything that happens, <laughs> but, <laughs> but right, he right, seems right, to be know, the most egregious about that kind of stuff. But I mean, even Ed is, as soon as they get a little bit of pushback, from these people, he says, uh, 
let's go back to town and play golf. Mm-hmm. Lewis, I think, is like ready to just, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> We're not doing that. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just great. I mean, just the way this all gets pulled apart as we go. One of my favorite little um, moments with Lewis especially is when they're they're driving around trying to find the river. Like he yes. thinks he knows everything. He knows where it's at. The, the um, He even cuts off uh, the Griner brothers because he thinks he knows better than the people that actually live there, like where they need to right. go. It's another mm-hmm. disrespectful moment. And then, the, yeah, there's a, well, we fucked up <laughs> yep. line, which I love. But then the, he he stops at a point and he can you can just hear the river and he just has to like yes. jump out of his car to go see it uh, you know it's brilliant i mean it's it's almost like he's a tracker or he thinks of himself as this mm-hmm. sort of connected with the natural world kind of guy but and he, he has says, just yeah he talks he's talking about it and looking at it like just with such awe and admiration but you have to wonder like as the movie goes on it's like does he really get it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does he really understand it as much as he thinks he does? Because, right. Yeah. His, his line here is, you know, sometimes you have to lose yourself, lose yourself before you can find anything. Yeah. That was the line I was going to gonna mention. Yeah. That's just, which is another kind of point of the movie, right? Um, mm-hmm. It sounds profound, but is it really? I think it is. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, is it, is it? It's like. But, but it sounds like a platitude to some extent, too. The whole movie is kind of like that. Like I said, like the whole movie is is a metaphor. The whole movie is an exploration of all these ideas that mm-hmm. it's setting up in this like simple story. And I I do see something in that in that line where it's like sometimes you have to sometimes you have oh, to it's, be it's, tested. It, yeah, absolutely. Before you really yeah. find out like who you really are or what you're really capable of. And I love Ed's response. Any snakes around here? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, and they do see one later on. Ew. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <one. laughs> yeah. 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 I was going to say when they get down into the river, it's I find it interesting. Uh, Drew, he's totally unprepared. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He doesn't even put his life jacket on, but he's just like eager. He just dives into it full bore. Mm-hmm. And I kind of love that about him. You know, he just gets on there. He's like in the front of the boat. And Ed's like, hey, hey, come on. Let's let's talk it through. Let's plan what we're going to do. And then um, Bobby, you know, is like really, really overly cautious. And Lewis being sort of elemental, just guys like, all right, you know, you just, He'd given orders to him constantly, which, yeah. of course, Bobby complains about later. I just find that all just a great, even that one moment where you just show them first how they just go about getting onto this river is character defining completely. You know, everything you need to know about them in that 30 seconds of mm-hmm. exchange. And there is that moment, yeah, when they do see the kid on the bridge. Mm-hmm. Um Above them with the banjo. You know, I got to say, the kid, the kid reminds me a little bit of Jason, like young Jason from Friday the 13th. And the other guy, the other guy that's like dancing and stuff like that, Crazy Ralph. <laughs> sure. Even in just okay. the way they look. It's, it's really just the way they look. It just makes me think of that. He does seem to be like a harbinger at some point because the way yeah. Drew, like, again tries to connect with them like hey remember me like we played and does a yeah, little yeah. motion with a band remember we played no no nothing, yeah. nothing from the kid it's just uh, this reminder you know there's there's things out there that you don't know about there are things that you don't understand that are out there 
And just crossing under the bridge like that, there's something evocative about that image. I think it probably taps into our mythic collective unconscious storytelling from ancient times kinds of things. And it just is so effective. Because it's also like the last, I'm pretty sure that's like the last like man-made thing that they see on their trip before they're finally, it's just until it's just them in the wilderness. Yeah. Yeah. When they get to Aintree. So, uh, but there's just some kind of funny lines. There's like, just, you know, what happens if we hit rapids? It's like, well, hang on to your paddle. If you hit any rocks, don't hit them with your head. You know, I mean, <laughs> your head, I, yeah. good stuff. Good stuff. And they're so good at the naturalistic way that they kind of mm-hmm. like talk to each other as they're like yeah. figuring stuff out on the boat. You know, it doesn't feel scripted. Yeah. It's like, oh, all right. All right. Now go left here. It's like, all right. I got it. I got it. I don't know. Yeah. I just kind of like the way that the, the actors like really seemed like they were really talking to it. It's that naturalistic thing about 70s movies that is. Yeah, exactly. It's great. But as I, as I recall, that stuff is actually scripted uh, for the most part. Um, I've read James Dickey's book. It's been a long time, but I mean, it, it reads like you're watching the movie. They're pretty close. Now, one of the things that after they go through the first set of rapids uh, and Bobby it. says, we beat it. We beat it. It's like, <laughs> uh, you don't beat this river. You know? yep. And obviously the reply to that is the river beats you <laughs> um, <Yep. Absolutely. laughs> or, or, or you, or you surrender yourself to it. And, you know, again, that's the natural world. We as civilized civilization, we try to beat back the natural world, but the natural world will always get the last word. You yeah. Know? Because there are yeah, certain we, we things build, that we build a house, we can never control. A tornado, yeah, exactly. Come and destroy it, that kind of thing. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just find that great. Now this and the fishing with the arrow scene strikes me as really important. First of all, great skill. <laughs> no doubt <laughs> to get a fish with a bow and arrow. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> it's it's close to impossible. It's oh, yeah. It's it's pretty impressive yeah but his lines here are amazing yeah machines are gonna fail the system's gonna fail and then survival who has the ability to survive that's the game survive and again setting up the whole movie (laughs) exactly and then ed's response though again i think you know burt reynolds has the great line and then john voigt says and you can't wait for that to happen Uh (laughs) uh-huh And of course, I think Lewis is thinking, well, hell yeah. yeah. You know, I can't wait for that to happen. But then when it does, he's yeah. not ready. Yep. And I think that's one of the things that's really, uh, oh man. I don't know if Burt Reynolds, uh, Burt Reynolds is a great actor. I don't know if he's ever been as good as he is in this movie. He's I, so good. <laughs> this is such a good performance. And I love him in lots of things there's so much subtleties uh, mm-hmm. that he does uh oh my god we'll talk about them when we get there yeah yeah but yeah this is where he asks ed about you know because ed is talking about his or, he tell, or he's telling ed about you know you got your nice little comfy life and everything with the wife and the kids and then mm-hmm. yeah he asked Again, him that question why do you come, why on, do you these come trips on these with trips me? with me because i think he looks at him and says marriage and family have all made you soft. They've made you less of a man to him. I think that's the way Lewis looks at it. I really do. Or just, I think maybe it's more like, 
he he's let himself get tied down like he's not like he doesn't respect you know the choices Mm -hmm. that he's made for his life but he's let himself get tied down you know tied down you know in quote marks you know like the thing with uh, the wife and kids and like so he doesn't have the freedom that lewis does to to go come out and do these things more often you know the things that he you know again quote unquote should be doing as a man you know like going out fishing and hunting and all that stuff (laughs) Right. I mean, and that's why this movie is such a brilliant deconstruction of that idea, you know, because Mm -hmm. I, I don't think the movie or certainly myself agrees with Lewis. No, you know, I don't think that I think it says, you know, this is a version of what it means to be a man. But there are lots of ways (laughs) to be, you know. Um, That's and, what all these and, guys. And, and, and you know, I yeah. say, and obvi- obviously, you know, this is a male-driven movie. I mean, I, are there any women in this movie at all? Well, very end. That's about. There are a couple. The one time Ed like looks in the window while they're right. waiting for the Griner brothers. There's like an old woman and a yeah, and then at the a, dinner at the end. But there. that's about yeah. it. Uh, so that's why I'm talking so much about what it means to be a man because that's what this movie is about. No, I think. Is. Yeah, I so. And not that there's anything wrong with. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with the way you know Lewis again because there are different ways exactly, of, of yeah. being a man, and there's nothing wrong with like wanting to be like a guy that goes out and does adventurous no, of kind of stuff like that, you know. And that's what I think. That's what it's saying. And I think it's saying there's also there's a draw in most men to mm-hmm. sort of you know reconnect with the primal. Sure. You know, four make fire. For bring home <laughs> deer for family, you know, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> that Sorry, that was an old joke. When we would go camping, you know, the guys would say, you know, we'd light the fire, you know, with matches and kindling that was brought in with us, you know, not going out in the sure. woods, you know. Yeah, four make fire, um, you know, <laughs> stupid joke. Because I think maybe what the movie is saying, too, is that all of the guys are... To put together or what it is to be a man maybe yeah yeah you got there's gotta I, be the balance. I, I think so i think so uh, and i think that is part of what and there's uh, i i didn't watch all of the features but james dickey's son says that all four of the characters were based on himself on james dickey himself so there were aspects of himself in all four of the characters and together they kind of make a complete nuanced human, <laughs> which I think is a, an interesting thing. Because, yeah. um, I mean, that first camping night, even Bobby admits, you know, there's something in the woods and the water we've lost in the city. Then Lewis says, didn't lose it. We sold it. Yep. <laughs> and then kind of a funny Ooh. line from Bobby. <laughs> Lewis walks away. I hate him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they um, they just are complete opposites, aren't they? They're, everything about yeah. them, it's just like they cannot stand each other. And But Ed says an interesting line here about, again, the relentlessness of nature. Uh, night has fallen and there's nothing we can do about it. I think that, again, underscores that theme that we're on a collision course with nature and there is nature is going to win out in some way. <laughs> Somehow it's going to always win out. And I think um, the next morning I find interesting. uh, Well, first of all, some of the things that I think Lewis sees about Ed 
like he's been domesticated. I I think the film sort of sets up a couple of things. Like it has, it shows them both smoke. I think that's just one thing that I've noticed for some reason. And you have Lewis sort of grabs this big old raggy cigar, you know, sort of cheap and earthy and raggedly made. And Ed is smoking a pipe. It's pipe. Yeah. He's he's civilized. He's yeah. uh, an intellectual, you know, that kind of thing. And um, but then you see Ed's attempt at bow hunting. You know, after we've seen Lewis shoot a fish, you know, <laughs> you see Ed trying to he shoot goes the off deer. By himself, yeah, yeah, and getting the shaky hand. You know, and not able to do it. And part of one of my questions was, did he miss on purpose or was he psychologically he's not ready yet? Yeah. Yeah. Something he in wants him to that be. Just... That's his whole thing is he internally probably thinks that he wants to be more like Lewis. But that part of it is not. Yeah, it's not really in him as much. The the morality, too, is, is not it. In him, because um, it's not Ed, but Drew says something about you know mm-hmm. that he doesn't understand anybody that could kill an animal or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I like the way Lewis responds to that. He says, you know, I've seen some people just don't have it in them. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't like completely chastise Drew for that statement. Yeah, he, he just says it. he gets it. He says, you know, I've seen championship archers who you know they can't do it. They get the shakes and they can't do it um, because it takes something to be able to kill. An animal, and obviously it plays out. Plays into soon goes in that changes into to, to a human. Yeah, kill a man, um, which you know brings in all sorts of questions about war and what that does to a person, or you know various lines of work. You know, like if you were I don't know a soldier or a police officer or various things, and you had to shoot somebody. You know, there there's all sorts of questions about that that are brought in peripherally to all this and it's just ah it's it's tough i do like that about lewis that he he's not like all in like on one side of of the character that he's Mm -hmm. portraying you know he does have a little bit of nuance and balance within him as well that he does understand at least that you know these guys are different they don't have the same experience they maybe they just can't do that kind of thing they can't kill an animal or anything like that and he's he understands that and he respects that and i think all of the characters uh even though they have a sort of a dominant set of traits they're Mm -hmm. much they are nuanced characters i think bobby in particular when he after he goes through what he goes through has sort of a pretty radical change Mm -hmm. you know and and an understandable one frankly so I think you know they switch canoe partners the second day because well there's Lewis... another line too sorry yeah go ahead mm-hmm. <laughs> well there was another one before that kind of it's just another thing that says something about Lewis's characters because um, Bobby when they hear something like off in the woods or whatever and Lewis goes to check it out there's that funny part where he like he goes this way and they're all waiting for him and he he ends up back <laughs> behind them right yeah. You know, coming like coming in from a different direction. Well, Bobby's got something. He's like, does he think he is Tarzan or what? <laughs> yeah, it's a good. And line. there's another yeah. line that says that he wants to be one with nature, but he can't hack it. And that's yeah. just kind of what happens, you know, to his character. It's, it's interesting that you know he's the one character that the movie really decides to to take out of commission when they really need it. <laughs> they really yes. need him. Yes, and that is one of the most interesting things about it. Yeah, and what it says about Lewis as a 
person by that point when it, yeah. is really his fascinating. Reac- what is his reaction to it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crying like a little bitch. Sorry. That's, but I think that's what the movie's saying. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. That's what it's saying. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, can we also just say too, like as from what we've seen so far of this movie, like, a uh, beautifully, amazingly shot. <laughs> oh yeah, Vilma All of those, yeah. all of those shots of the the river and the forest, mm-hmm. and like the very minimal use of music, and just like mm-hmm. throughout the whole movie, really, and just letting. It's essentially nature, a theme and variation yeah. on dueling banjos du- too. Banjos, yeah. Th- throughout the whole movie, which is a great you know way to score the film. But really, just kind of like almost letting nature be the music the beauty mm-hmm. of the nature that he's filming is yep. just it's absolutely gorgeous and i love like that's why this movie never gets boring or old to me because it's just yeah not only is the the story is so intriguing but it's just one of those movies that is gorgeous to look at and you never yeah. get sick of it yeah very much so you know when they switch canoe partners you know and lewis says you take you take the chubby one. Then Bobby immediately starts complaining about how his mosquito bites have bites. And uh, <laughs> he's like sick of Lewis hollering at him all day. And yeah. which wasn't really happening. He was giving him, he's like, all right, on your right, on your left, on your right. You know, just yeah. giving him directions. And you got to talk over the river, for goodness sake. I, I don't know. I just <laughs> didn't think he was being, I didn't really find him to be mistreating Bobby in that first section at all frankly but you know hey <laughs> well he knew he knows better than than bobby does he, he didn't really know what to do yeah i kind of felt the same yeah. way too I was like but yeah. that's how bobby in, interpreted it because i yeah, think he and, knows he, he knows the, the kind of subtle disdain that lewis has for him in, in that way you know that he's yeah. not as masculine as he is right and you know bobby's also saying you know i hope we get off this river today and it's like enjoy a little bit of what you're seeing. You're seeing stuff that no one else they can't. I yeah. mean, how many how many people in all of humanity have seen what you're seeing right now? And that's you know a remarkable thing. And he's just like he just hates it. All he wants to do is complain about it. And you know and I've experienced some... that sort of things. You know I've probably been part of it at times. You know I didn't really love to hike when I was in Boy Scouts because I had problems with my feet and everything and. So I, I kind of get it, but at the same time, it's like I am also annoyed by it. <laughs> right. And you they're know. some of the last ones to see it because in yep. a couple of days is when they're going to dam the river and exactly. it's going to just flood the whole area. Yeah. Um, so so essentially, we're at that scene. <laughs> yes, we are yes. at that scene. Now, I think that this can be seen completely metaphorical. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's important that this happens, but um, you have... The civilized and the quote-unquote savage, you know, the city versus nature. The city has been raping nature and nature is retaliating. You can Mm -hmm. totally read it that way. Um, You know, and obviously, and what I find interesting, comparing this one uh, uh, to something like The Last House on the Left, which also came out in 1972, same year, the way this rape scene is shot, most of it is on John Voight's face. Most of it is just his, you know, while he's tied to the tree or by his neck. Um, that is so disturbing. Just the way it that really he is, is tied to the tree by his neck, by his own belt. Yes. Yeah. Even that kind of yeah. gives me the willies a little bit. Yeah. Because that's so like that. That's putting you in an incredibly mm-hmm. also defenseless position, just like yeah. Bobby is. Yeah. 
and it does switch between yeah shots of the, the face of the rapist and bobby and there is yeah. only one shot where it's it's like a, a full body you know technically yeah. thing but um with ed in the foreground but it's like it's blurred out in the background yeah. so it's a very respectful way that it was shot yeah but it's also very um it's visceral though you you oh yeah you absolutely f- it's brutal it, it, it's brutal and it's it's uh hard to live through the scene but at the same time i think I th- too. The it's way humiliating he humiliates him is yeah. almost worse yeah and you know this scene is so important <laughs> i mean it's so it, i mean but it's again so much of it is metaphorical and i don't one of the one of the i think misreads of this scene is some sort of you know the the fact that it's a male rape is that it's a homophobic scene i don't think it is i don't think that's who the mountain people represent i don't think that's what's going on at all yeah i i which is why i say i think it's a misread because it's not supposed to be a gay panic scene or something like that no it's there's much more going on here uh, and that never comes that. up in the movie no, at all. No, which is not what I at love all. about that. Yeah. These these guys, it's not about some sort of homosexual urge or something like that. It's not what's going on at all. It's a mm-hmm. power yeah. thing. And ultimately I think the metaphor of it, of the nature retaliating over the city, you know, sort of getting a revenge is more of what you have going on. And it's a shocking yeah. act of violence and that propels your story to what it is really getting at is the next scene the yeah. the next scene this is, is what favorite. this movie is about and when we see from after ed's yeah, perspective Bobby yeah and ed is about to be assaulted too and he sees yeah. uh lewis the, the, the look on his face is so good too the way he just starts like yeah. It like gives him like a subtle do nod. It. Do to, it, yeah, yeah, because uh-huh. he's there holding the bow and arrow, and he waits for him to hand the gun over, mm-hmm. you know, and then he shoots the man who's holding the gun. <laughs> it's just like yep. the, it's it's brilliant, you know, yep. the way it's done and the way the way the mountain man kind of lands, you know, on the tree there, yeah, is. I don't know. There's something about that, that image. There's something disturbing yeah. and like, yeah, weird about that image too. And that's the fact that that was the real guy the whole time while they were having this dialogue scene yes. around them. And he, the way just he just lay like there. laid yeah. there, mm-hmm. the way, especially the way that his, his cheek is on one of the limbs. <laughs> yeah. Of the tree. That was so not uncomfortable. Comfortable. And he has such a long, like drawn out death scene too, but it's not, it's definitely not funny. Um, the way like something like that might be like the, somebody like you know, milking their screen time or something. It's not anything like that though. It's, it's them. It's giving them the chance to realize like the horror of what they've just seen and what they've all yes. done. Yes. And it just, uh, just another layer to like how brilliant this movie is, man. Well, and you know, drew, um, what do we do? We take the body to Aintree. We turn it into the police. This is a justifiable homicide, you mm-hmm. know? And it's like, and then Lewis says, oh yeah? Anyone know anything about the law? These people all know each other. We get on a jury trial down here. We'll be convicted of murder because they're all family out here. Um, I, I think it wouldn't, you know, essentially it wouldn't be a fair trial. Um, and you find I, that later but, to be true. Know, Right. And we and Drew just kind of keeps going at it. It's like, it's a matter of the law. It's like, and Lewis's line, what law? Yeah. <laughs> Where's he's, the law, as he's Drew? looking around. Yeah. 
<laughs> We're on the middle oh, of nowhere. Man. What law are you talking about? Good God, that scene. Though. My oh. my favorite thing about this scene, though, is when yeah, Drew is trying to get them to you know do the right thing and then go to the police and and Lewis is like, okay, so what do we tell them? And he says, you know, we tell them the truth, obviously about what happening, about what what mm-hmm. has happened. And I think his language here is incredibly important, too. Yeah. Because he says, well, we just tell them the truth. You know, they were sexually assaulting two members of our party at gunpoint. And I think it's incredibly important that he used the right terminology. Yeah, you know he's I mean? using In this scene? Law- lawyerly words. It's exactly. He's using, But you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Words well, not that just that's too... Well, just that there's a tendency, you know, with it's to use a word like stuff or something like to, that, or to use a euphemism or to not yeah. use or to dance mm-hmm. around it, but to actually call it what it was. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. especially, and I think I hate to say it, like, especially when it's like a male on male thing, which is not as common, not as talked about as it yeah. should be. Right. It's imp- definitely important to call it what it was. And I, well, I was and, so, and even, I'm always so impressed. Not joke about it or minimize, yeah. minimize it or whatever. Not yeah, like you said, like none mm. of that like gay panic or homophobic right. thing. And nothing, there's nothing in that in this movie having to do with that. And I'm just I'm yeah. so impressed with that. Well, and then the take the vote and Bobby. What's Bobby's line? Right, related to that, he says, "Let's bury him. I don't want him. this getting around." I. I <laughs> Okay, it's like he's going to be seen as less of a man because this happened to him. I think that's his fear. And it's just like, yeah, exactly. It's a little weird. I mean, it's but I mean, is it an is it an unrealistic reaction? No, it's not an unrealistic reaction, though. I don't Mm, think. Not at all. Yeah, because he's it's it's them. Maybe these guys have never, you know, encountered anything like this. It's them, you know, realizing the horror of rape. Yeah. They've never had to deal with that before or yeah. even think about that really as a possibility. And I th- that's uh, an interesting dynamic with it being men. They're all having the same reactions, you know, as if, you know, if it was a, it was a woman was the victim. Yeah. Like, I don't want anybody mm-hmm. to know about it. I don't think I'm going to be believed. Yeah. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. But uh, uh, again, Burt Reynolds in this scene, like while while they're having this conversation, I don't know, like the way that he kind of is leaning up against the tree and just like looking mm-hmm. at the dead guy. Something about like the the subtlety of the, that choice, you know, in the acting, yeah. <laughs> it really gets to me. And yeah. I, I'm not sure exactly what it's saying. Is it's just like I don't know. Yeah, there's a while they take in the vote as well. Drew's line where he's trying to convince. Ed to vote with him, right? Because mm-hmm. Bobby obviously is voting with Lewis, so Ed's the tiebreaker. And Drew says, "Him, we're gonna have to live with this for the rest of our lives." Which, as we see in the end, is very, very true. You know, yeah. when Ed Ed is just plagued by that nightmare of the body coming up through the lake. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on there too. But he's like, I'm with Lewis. And the way they're carrying the body is almost like, I think of it, there's a, the, the statue, the Pieta uh, of Mary holding Jesus after he's been taken I've down from the cross. Yeah. In real life. And so it's just sort of like this carrying his arms are spread out, this limp yeah. dead body. With the, the way the arms are, I don't think it's coincidence. I think it is supposed to be like carrying a crucified man. I think that's, 
I really think that is a purposeful decision, just that pose. That makes sense. Yeah, and and they're burying him in that shallow grave and the arms sticking out, you know, mm-hmm. again, sort of foreshadowing it coming up through the lake at the end of the movie. The way that they have to use their hands mm-hmm. to, to dig, the way they have to, like, you know, get in there with nature again and, like, they're crossing yeah. over in, in some way, becoming yeah. that primal thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Drew even starts, starts going, starts breathing heavy and grunting like he's turning into an ape. He's the one yeah. digging the most, like, ferociously because like he's, a he's dog. the one that's, that he's most against it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really, uh, oh, man, that's And Bobby is so good. Intense. Sorry. Before, he's so good in the scene while they're all having the conversation, too. Just that, like, glazed over, dead look in his eyes. And there's this moment between him and, and Lewis that I like, too. Like, when he Bobby's, like, kind of slowly approaching the dead guy. And mm-hmm. Lewis, again, like... Um, I think he's feeling guilty for things he said and, you know, the way that he treated Bobby yeah. beforehand. And he's just immediately like understands and, and everything when he just says, you know, let's not do anything foolish because he knows like he wants to like go you know, do something to him. Uh, but he's like still he's immediately went into like protect protective mode. Yeah. Which, uh, which is a great little moment, I think, between the two of them, especially when they were the ones that were the most antagonistic for the beginning of the movie. Mm hmm. Definitely. And then Drew um, makes a sign of the cross when they're done burying him, too. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, which is interesting considering the way they find Drew. He he looks like he's 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 held up on a he's caught up on a piece of wood with yeah. his arm twisted around. Again, I think he's supposed to represent being like crucifixion, like he's okay. dead by in that form. Now, when they get back on the river, Drew is acting strange. Refuses to put there's, his life jacket on. He refuses to put his life jacket on again, but he's he's there's something more going on, and we, you don't hear mm-hmm. when Lewis starts yelling out, "He was shot! He was shot! He was shot!" You believe him, but you don't know for sure. You don't hear a gunshot. You don't when they find the body. There's no evidence of a gunshot wound. I mean, the way he falls is intentionally yeah, like, it's awkward. vague, but also deliberate. Yeah. Uh huh. It's it's just like it's it's pretty brilliant i i don't know because you it leaves you to wonder exactly what happened to drew was he just overcome by guilt and just essentially killed himself i i don't know says no ronnie cox says no because he says he's too catholic for that like he wouldn't that's a good point you're right you're right yes that's a good point so i i hadn't thought of that either so i was like oh okay yeah or yeah. like maybe it was an accident and he just didn't really fight it, you know, or something just because right. he was so also overcome with guilt. I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. I like that they leave it unanswered, really, exactly yeah. just how Drew dies. Yeah. I, I think this sequence is so important, though, where they go down the rapids, all of them, you know, the one canoe breaks in half, all of them get thrown out of their canoes. Also, all of them. Very important. There's one canoe that's made out of metal and one that's made, one that's out, made of out of wood. wood. So yeah. again, it's like civilization and nature yes. <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. Or industrialism and naturalism. Yeah. Um, but they're carried down river through the rapids. And I, I could not help but think after this crime, after this murder, after this cover up, this is a baptismal moment. That this is them experiencing the quote unquote deliverance, uh, though they're not out of it yet. I think the I think the other one 
later is is a, is an echo of that too. That sort of total immersion of Ed later in the movie. But during the scene, though, I mean, this is where we have Lewis's leg getting broken, the bone sticking out, and. <laughs> It doesn't look real at all. No, it doesn't. His his leg looks fine. It's just like a piece of, you know, it's got to be, I think it was like lamb or something they said. It's just like a piece of lamb. It was like attached to his leg. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't look right. Um, (laughs) It doesn't look quite right. But, you know, you get the shots of them. The shots of them, like, pretty much, like, riding the rapids, though. Like, Bernal's actually did that. And it's just insane. (laughs) Yeah. You look at them. Because those are like, it's really them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Lewis is convinced that Drew was shot. Um, so they kind of get Lewis up into the outcropping there on the cliff. And they're looking up in the, in the in, does, do they hear a gunshot? I can't remember. Mm-mm. Is that? Yeah. Okay. He's. I don't think he actually hears or sees anything. He's just like, he's, he's up there, you know, you know, indicating a cliff because they're in this like big uh, gorge, like. Uh, yeah, surrounded by yeah. rocks and cliffs and everything. That rock face, yeah. And I think that this this is something that that dawned on me too while I was watching this. I found it interesting twist on sort of the traditional tropes, especially in westerns, of you know the ones connected to the land and the ones connected to uh, nature and the weapons they use. Because here, this representation of the city uses the bow. And the representation of nature uses guns. Whereas in Westerns, obviously, that was the other way around, uh, mm-hmm. where you had Native Americans using bows. And, you know, the, the gun meant, you know, civilization is destroying right. this. Um, whereas this is a, it's a reversal of that. And I don't know what the, I don't know if that has any great profound meaning. It just struck me as being an interesting twist on the ideas that we normally see in movies that deal with um, civilization encroaching upon nature. Because they have to be that. Connect with nature in order to. to become that primal part of themselves in order to survive. Yeah. Because the the roles are reversed, you know, after Mm. this thing has happened. Yeah. And we get a foreshadowing of the confirmation, I should say, of Drew's death with the smashed guitar. the broken guitar, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think that's good. But and like I, we've already said, Lewis is out for the count pretty much for the rest of the movie now because yeah. mm-hmm. you know he can't do anything with that broken leg. And he, honestly, yeah, I mean that's definitely his masculinity being torn away because stripped away. <laughs> I don't want to say it, but like he does act like a little bitch and he's yeah. crying. <laughs> Which you know and, what. I don't care who you are. You got a fracture like that. You're going to cry. Yeah. So you're going to, you're going to be, fine. you're going to, it's going to hurt. I'm not, I'm not, I'm but not mad at Lewis, but I no. mean, that's, but I think the no, movie but it's is the representation. Kind of, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And he's got to be taken out of commission though. I mean, that's oh, because this is, this is Ed's story. This is Ed reclaiming, you know, this, in a way, this movie does have a Last House on the Left, uh, uh, Hills Vir- Virgin Virgin Spring sort of thing going on, where you have yeah, and definitely Hills Have Eyes, where you have the civilized has to become the savage in order to yeah survive, absolutely. and uh, that's sh- strong in this. I think you you mentioned the scene uh, that 
the aftermath of the of the that scene as being your favorite for me i think it's probably this one uh where this sequence the cliff yeah where where ed is climbing the rock face one of my favorite moments is here yeah yeah where he gets up to the top or near the top and he's just like hanging on to the edge of the cliff and he looks out and it says christ what a view it's exactly. like oh and the thing is exactly. that is that is what john voight made john voight want to do the movie he was offered it and he saw you know the rape scene this and that he was like it's kind of a horror movie i don't know if i want to do that you know okay but anaconda's fine um and <laughs> I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I anyway, love Anaconda. I haven't seen it yet, um, but I own it what? thanks to you. I've never seen Anaconda. I know. Watch um, it. I know. I know. But anyway, uh, but 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 the the Christ what of you line was the line that that convinced him this is to do the movie, and I think that, and you know what, that's one of the things you know about John Voight and James Woods and stuff. You know, it, think what you will about their politics or whatever, man. But they They're, were. Great, great, great actors. You cannot say that they were not great actors. I'm sorry. You just can't. Because, I mean, this this is incredible stuff. And this is just such a perfect line because here he is, like, they've been getting their ass kicked by nature this whole time. And he still realizes that he has to humble himself before, you know, and admire it and say, what of you, you know, and still he still has got. That that part I don't know that part of him is like it's he realizes that he's got to show the respect for it that yeah. it deserves to really beat it. Yeah, exactly. You know, one of the parts that really gets me about this scene, he pulls out his wallet and he's looking at you know the picture of his wife and his son, and he's and it's like he's trying to connect with that to get some inspiration to reach down and and pull himself up for this next part of this, and and mm-hmm. he drops the wallet you know into the river it's gone it's never coming back and it's like all of these remnants of his civilized self are being stripped away and um all he's got is his bow which we know he fucked up with before and then shoot a deer before yeah he couldn't shoot a deer can you shoot a man yeah he's been sent on this mission to go after this guy is supposedly out there with a gun that killed drew but uh, probably not yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so anyway he falls asleep and yeah. wakes up and the guy is there sees the toothless man uh who he, we thinks is, is a toothless man at least uh at the top of the you know walking around and he's got the gun and but when again he gets out the, he's it's the same thing as what happened with the deer he and gets the he's shakes, yeah. shaking wildly like where it's like there's no way that He's going to be able to hit him and he ends up with an arrow through, through his, his side, own, his own side, <laughs> which, which I also, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry. That is You're a, gonna do that the is, religious thing. Yes. It's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a Christ wound. It's a Christ yeah. wound. I mean, he's going through a crucifixion of sorts at this point and that's, and that's the wound in the side because I mean, for Christ's sake, I mean, climbing that wall the excruciating and doing it by himself. He is alone. I think there's so much in that that just says, and he's, you know, got something slung across his back in the, in the, I think it's a crucifixion scene. Okay. Okay. And he needs to shed himself, essentially die to who, to his uh, civilized self in order to triumph. And that's, 
I mean, that's, I mean, that's pretty that's profound. That's part of him yeah. losing his wallet, too. Losing yeah, Losing exactly. that last connection to mm-hmm. his former civilized self. Yeah. Um, so he gets the wound in his side. Um, but then when the... But as wildly as he shot. <laughs> yeah, the man comes... That, that reveal, because you think that he's gonna he's drunk or something and he's gonna shoot him anyway and then the reveal that he hit him that he has it has the arrow through his chest is just one of the great reveals i mean i i mean i'd seen this movie before and i (laughs) gasped i was like whoa and um just so reveal um and and then he sees him and he's got his full set of teeth and he's like no 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 and he pulls on him and they're bridge work it's yes. like, like like dentures it was like oh gosh that is it's the right guy it's okay <laughs> that is incredible um yeah. but then you know lowering the body and the rope breaking and everything and they fall into the river it's like this again this total immersion a baptism moment uh clen- cleansing of this crime you know atonement for this crime the deliverance that is being discussed in the title well and there hasn't been any music Mm-hmm. in the movie like for a really long time up to this point and all of a sudden there's this like sting of some more of the the dueling banjos as they're falling yeah, it's good it just kind of kind of takes you off guard a little bit surprises yeah. you the way that hits yeah so weighing down the body and into the river and um then you know uh lewis had a bad night you know putting him into that the way he looks when they put him into the canoe he's just laying there helpless like a baby while the uh, other two, you know, the less manly men are left to take care of him is, is something. I mean, it's really, um, it's an image that is really powerful. He doesn't even really talk that much for the rest of the movie. Like he, it becomes fully like Ed's story by this point. When you kind and of... I think Lewis is dying. I think he's actually, it's, it's like the masculinity is dying here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or, or this version of it is dying, um, being taken over by something else. I don't know. And him realizing that, and he's probably kind of going through his, his own shit in his mind right now, you know? Oh, of course he is. <laughs> And if this was Lewis's story, I think we would know more about it. But this is Ed's story. This is Ed's change and transformation. Which I always kind of forget every time I watch this, too. I forgot. I told you this. I told you this. I texted you this. And I was like, (laughs) oh, yeah. For some reason, I hadn't seen this in a while. And I went, you know, uh, okay, so this is a movie about three guys going down a river. And it's Ned Beatty, (laughs) Burt Reynolds, and Ronnie Cox. I totally had forgotten John Voight was even in this movie. And it was like, wait a minute. He's the main Uh, character. He's the main character. He's on the cover of the Blu-ray. And I didn't... It was just the weirdest thing. I don't know why that happened, but it was insane. You know, one of my favorite, like, posters that I saw, it was in one of the the behind-the-scenes thing. Usually, like, the original poster you see is the guys are in the background with the the boat Mm -hmm. or whatever, and there's the big shotgun in the foreground, like, pointing at them. But the poster that I saw, I liked a lot better because it's definitely more representative of, of the movie to me is, like, it's them on top of the water is like four guys with a canoe above them and then the reflection uh-huh. in the water is three guys holding a dead body above them ah oh, wow i love that that's such a perfect yeah. image for this that movie, is really you know? good 
Though I gotta because admit, I do, thing... I do like I do like the shotgun poster too, though. I think that yeah, is it's, cool. it, it's <laughs> it's pretty, pretty cool meaningful. <laughs> yeah. Well, because another thing that for some reason I don't know how I always forget about this movie until I watch it again. I must block it out because it's so horrifying. Is how they find Drew. Drew. Yeah, again, they find him washed up against the logs with the arm behind his head, uh, just twisted the way it is. I mean, honestly, that's the image that I never forget. I don't know how I forget that. It just always gets me like, oh, shit, I forgot about that. Because that's just because it's it's such an it's such an unnatural, even though that that was just a thing that Ronnie Cox could really do. It's not a prosthetic or anything. That's him. Really? Yeah. I had no he, idea. He was like, "Wow." Yeah, he says it in one of the interviews. He's like, "Yeah, I can do." The, I told him I could do this weird thing with my with my arm, and I was like, "Okay," because that totally sure looked like it was, it was a fake. prosthetic. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness, that's <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and they look on this body. There's no. They look for a sign of a gunshot. They don't see anything. They don't see any bruises or anything. It could have been, you know, rotted away. The river could have done something to change the look. I don't know. It's it's wild. I think what's interesting is they have Drew's funeral where they say a few words, uh, each of them, Bobby and, and Ed. And Ed says he was the best of us. The He was the one that was the most civilized. He was the best family man. He was He kind of had a zest for life. He was a man of conscience, I think, is also a key element. And I, I wrote down a real man, question mark. Is he the is he the is he the real man out of all of them? The quota, you know, whatever that term is can be defined yeah, as. Sure. And I don't know that the movie really says yes or no. I think it just says, well, it literally says he was the best of us. Whether it believes that or not, I think is up to the audience, but it's an important moment, I think. Really profound to me. I think they're just mostly talking maybe just about... He was the only one that had... That really seemed to have a moral problem with what they did. They could all justify it pretty easily in their minds. And he was the only one that really struggled with it. Yeah, again, most. a man of conscience. They, I think that's what they're they're getting at. Like, it shouldn't have been him, you know, because he was he was against this. Like, it should, like they're thinking that it should have been one of us, maybe, you know? Yeah. But honestly, do you think if they, if Drew had made it back to Aintree... They, would they have gotten away with would it? Would they yeah. have gotten away with it? Exactly. And the they answer were, is uh, probably not. They He probably would have cracked. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, which I would get, you know? There's a slower version of the banjos playing during this. And there's kind of a minor key version of it. I think that is really... I love that, but you know you have still you've got Lewis in the canoe just screaming and crying as and helpless. He's 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 like a he's like a baby at this point. Just everything is gone from him, and they see the sign of civilization again with the wrecked cars. And I think that is such a fascinating way oh, yeah. that that <laughs> that it's like the garbage of civilization is seen as for this place beacon (laughs) is a, is a beacon of hope. I mean, it's just like, Oh, wow. No, but we're not out of this yet. Everything happened right here. This is where drew drowned. This is where, you know, Lewis broke his leg in the rapids there. Of course, they didn't think about the other half of the canoe. (laughs) Um, Oops. 
I think one of the most interesting images in this movie, they get to the boat launch and the Church of Christ is sitting on the trailer (laughs) to be moved. And there's a line that comes up a little bit later. I I know it's a little bit down, down the line. It says, we may need to stop for a minute to wait for the church to get out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's such a profound, deep, heavy moment. The, that's the thing about this movie. It just keeps going like throughout, like up to the very end. There are so many like profound scenes and moments like, yeah, they're, they're okay. They're dealing with the, um, the sheriff there and yeah. um, trying to get their story straight. Lewis is you know, still laid up in the hospital. He actually hospital. almost di- mm-hmm. does die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then um, the, the place where they, they put them up at, you know, they, um, Ed goes in to have dinner uh, with all of them. And what a Bobby's scene. already sitting there and he's just, he's kind of being jovial with them. And, but Ed, it's almost a last they, supper kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. Damn it. You're so, you Did I steal your line? The, no, it's like you bring up all the religious stuff and it's like, I don't, I never see it until you start talking about it. And then I'm like, God damn it. Yeah, he's right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I just, I love the way that this plays out because it's, they're in a, they're in Aintree now. So they're in a more civilized kind of backwoods yeah, uh, I mean it's but it's still the kind sticks. of backwoods area. The They're still in this for sure. It's not quite yeah. where they met the Griner brothers and those no. people, but it's a little bit more than that. But it's still it's still like city people versus you know country people, and the way that they're being so kind to him and offering yes. him food just makes him break down and cry. Well, I think there's this idea that the people that they killed could well be related to the people that are exactly showing them this and beautiful hospitality. And they're showing them their ki- kindness, yes. Yeah. And they completely, all they did up to this point was make fun of them and mm-hmm. think that they were backward and worthless, you know. Yeah. It's, mm. And he's feeling guilty, obviously, yep. <laughs> I think, ex- extremely well, in a, this scene. a bit of a breakdown there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Something that he uh, needed probably to happen yeah you know and then there's some things in this that you know it makes me think of just sort of the economic downturn stuff of the late 60s early 70s this moving out of industrialization into something else into sort of a space age high tech age Uh. and so they see the empty factory which you know maybe it's because we talked about texas chainsaw massacre a little bit with mike uh last week um that whole idea of the industrial, the factories closing, the and so the economic just devastation that is occurring to these small towns, you know, in in like Rocky, you know, in that section of Philadelphia, and also mm-hmm. in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and here, I mean, that is just as evident here because you know. Uh, and the the cab driver even says, you know, the best thing, this whole area is going to be drowned. Gonna this be is all going to be underwater. Yeah. And it's the best thing that ever happened to this town. Uh, that's so sad. I mean, that is, it is. profoundly sad. And, um, you know, that's where he says, you know, we may have to wait for the church to get out of the way. And there's the clanging yeah. <laughs> of the church bell. It's just like, <laughs> but it's empty, obviously. Um, yeah. which is a, 
another, you know, the congregation's gone <laughs> kind of idea is powerful. Well, this is a little bit later, but, or maybe, okay. Well, they, um, they have a whole thing with um, one of the, I guess it's one of the deputies, the sheriff, um, his brother-in-law was uh, one of the rapists, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, so wh- why do you think the sheriff lets them go, basically? When he knows that like something has happened, because you know they say that they the canoe went this, they lost their canoe here, but they really found it upriver. Like, how can a canoe drift upriver? All that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. he looks out the uh, Ed looks out the window one time and sees the that the the, canoe, the broken the half broken the broken half, half mm-hmm. on top of his car, everything. And I mean, they just know that there's something going on. And there's a little antagonism between Bobby and Ed when they're trying uh-huh. to keep their because Ed Story is straight, yeah. He's starting to he's starting to crack. He's starting to you know wanting to tell mm-hmm. the truth. And Bobby again, like keeping up with that, like I don't you know doesn't doesn't want that getting out what really happened, um, both what happened to him and what they did. Yeah. And so they uh, the sheriff says basically to them like, don't ever do anything like this again, and don't ever come back here. Which they don't really have to worry about honestly because it's gonna be it's gonna be gone. Yeah. It's gonna be gone. Why does he let him go? I think part of him probably knows that his brother-in-law was prone to trouble. Maybe I think that that could, I think that could be an element of it. And so uh, this would be a lot worse for the town. He says the line, I just want this town to die in peace. Yeah. And I think that's what it comes down to. He says, you know, I think so. We don't need a bunch of city folk lawyers coming down here and fucking this up in the last minute. Because that would just devastate things further, you know. That they're all gonna die and be buried under this under the river, anyways. Yeah. So like, not let's not bring any trouble to it. Yeah, let's let it die in peace. Let the people, yeah, hopefully I move mean, on with their lives. And the, ironically, that's contrasted against you know, rest in peace, die in peace, and they're digging up the graveyard and moving it. That is one of my favorite images. All right, because yeah. for. I think for the town too, but mostly just for the guy's story. Just, I mean, mm-hmm. just that thing. It, it's very, very much contrasted with the shallow grave that they bury the guy in. That you know, it's the yeah. thing of nothing ever really stays buried. <laughs> yeah, which is most uh, just a sign that you know they're obviously not going to forget it or fully get over like what's happened this weekend, which is uh, reiterated, you know, with the the his dream little dream sequence of the hand coming up out of the river that. Yeah, we may be through unburied. with the past, but the past ain't through with us. <laughs> sure, absolutely. It all comes back to Magnolia, right? But <laughs> I mean, obviously, that's a variation on a line from Faulkner. But um, it's and such a sad line um, when Ed and Bobby are saying goodbye to each other. Yeah, and Bobby says, you know, very kind of just very matter of factly, and like, in I think we understand each other way. It's like I don't think I'll see you for a while. Yeah, honestly. I don't know. That's hard. Yeah. Because you feel like they would need each other because they're the only ones that know what they've gone through. But also it's like, uh, yep. Yep. You also and don't want to have that, that reminder around all the time. Yeah. Of what happened. And I think there's also something interesting with saying they may need to amputate Lewis's leg. Like he's not going to be mm-hmm. complete anymore. Again, that idea for him of being quote unquote, less of a man in this case, literally is kind of a devastating thing. All of them lose something. You know, Drew, of course, makes the ultimate sacrifice, losing his life. Bobby loses Mm -hmm. 
innocence, perhaps. Lewis loses his leg and Ed loses. I mean, he kills a man. I mean, what does that what does that mean to a person to have to do? And obviously they show him later. He goes home and he sees his wife who appears to be pregnant. I thought I, so. I, yeah. Yeah. And he's just waking up from that dream of, you know, the hand coming up. It's, it's almost like Carrie without the jump scare, you know, coming up out of the lake and he's waking up from that. And you imagine that's going to be just waking up to, from that dream over and over and over again just for the rest of his life. And it echoes back yep. what Drew said earlier. This is going to stick with us for the rest of our lives. It's true. I mean, there's no such thing as this being a consequence-free situation. Or when they're kind of figuring out what to do with Drew's body, I think after they find him, Bobby also just kind of casually says, like, it never ends, does it? Like, there's, they're always having to do some horrible thing now that they've done the first horrible thing. Yeah, yeah. it's like, it never, it's never going to end. Never like, this is never really going to go in, go away. Yeah, yeah. So, and that is why Fucking this is love this movie. <laughs> one of so the good, right? greatest movies. It really is. I, I can't believe I never, I never connected with it quite like I did this time through. Uh, I maybe just the circumstances you watch it in can have a, have a difference too. I mean, I always liked it, but wow. Mm. It's really something. Okay, so I have a, I have a <laughs> question for you. now for the weirdest you. transition ever. <laughs> yeah, I have, a, I have a question for you. What's that? So, right? th- so at the end of, of this movie, they, the lake is created by a dam. And I have a question for you. Is it a goddamn? <laughs> 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 that was the best transition I could think of. Okay. Um, well, so I'll we're, be damned. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll be damned. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, well, yeah. Uh, Welcome to the portion of the episode where we where we uh, imitate Beavis for twenty minutes. Um, and just kidding, I'm not going to do that. But I will. Um, okay, awesome. Uh, so yeah, Beavis and Butthead do America. Uh, talk about transitions. What I mean, that's a just, pairing! What a pairing! But the thing is, in a weird way, it kind of worked. I actually did watch these back to back, and okay. <laughs> There is sort of a, in some bizarre way, this sort of deconstruction of manhood in this movie, too. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, you have them traveling on a quest uh, to find their TV. It's a great road movie. It's a great road movie. It's a great travel movie. It's a great vacation movie. I mean, come on. There's so much that is just, I mean, is it a profound movie? No. No. <laughs> it is not. Is it fun as hell? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, I mean, we're not going to break down the plot of this movie, but I think we've got what uh, the, I think part of the question is that I mean, you brought it up. Why Beavis and Butthead? Why do Beavis and Butthead still work? Why are they still funny? When it is the most juvenile, like. Yeah humor ever don't know exactly okay i think i think there's a i think there's a lot of intelligence behind oh absolutely what they're trying to say is the thing absolutely there is and it just kind of skewers what they are saying is juvenile yeah yeah 
there's an it's an indictment of Generation X. There's no doubt about it, of which I am a member. Uh, so I mean, there's <laughs> the slacker there's generation. Like, yeah, sure. exactly. So I was watching uh, um, just some clips from the old Beavis and Bed show, which we're both old enough to have watched that uh, yeah. on MTV, definitely. Yeah. And um, I remember when the first episodes started airing. Really? <laughs> I was in junior high. I mean, I was like right at the age of Beavis and Butthead when this uh, show started to air. And it still worked. I was dying, dying yeah. laughing. Because there's something, you know what I think part of it is too, is that as like kind of crass and idiotic and moronic or whatever, whatever we're doing to use, there is still kind of a weird wholesomeness to be with some butthead is there is i don't know how to describe it either but it's true them just them as characters Mm -hmm. they're they're i think they're guys that would if they were real they're they're just like just stoner slacker guys that would never like intentionally hurt anybody and you can definitely get that from them you know and that they're weirdly accepting of uh-huh. a lot of people that they meet on, the, like one of Beavis's best friends in this movie is the old lady that they yeah. meet on the plane. I love you know, <laughs> hey, it's a slut from the plane. <laughs> so yeah, I think there is kind of a, that you can see at least that in the in these characters that they are like strangely wholesome and that they're not like bad guys mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> no. They, they, um, they, everything they know, they've learned from music videos. Sure. Um, they, they know that TV is cool and, um, (laughs) the the best thing that could ever possibly happen to them is to score. And that's what it comes down to. And I don't know. They're not wrong. Uh, they're not, they're not going to, they're not going to go about it in some sort of negative way either you know yeah it's like at least not on purpose um but you know then there's a little bit of the forrest gump sort of bumping their way through life bumping their Mm -hmm. way into in and out of trouble you know and uh yeah it's just bumbling their way i should say but i think that i love the cold open of this movie the cold yeah. open as them as giant kaiju fighting and stuff. It's it's so great. Beavis is the one who can breathe fire. Bre- fight, Beavis fight, can breathe fight. fire is just one of the greatest moments. <laughs> uh, now, I got to say, uh, when I saw this on the big screen back in, it must have been early 1997 because it came out like Christmas of 1996. Right. which is crazy. So the last week of 1996, it comes out in theaters. Uh, it opens at number one over nice. one fine day. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> which, is, which is just like the greatest statement of a generation I've ever heard in my life. Um, it's a cute movie. Yeah, it's, you know, Jerry, Mag- it's competition is Jerry Maguire and Scream and... <laughs> movies like that and so it's just like and i saw it the same day with a friend as we went and saw mars attacks after this and as great as mars attacks is it just could not hold a candle to how much we laughed at beavis and butthead to america Mm -hmm. it was one of the most memorable movie going experiences of my life was seeing this with my friend i remember the theater we went to everything and it's just we were laughing so hard it hurt i mean it was <laughs> everything about it was perfection and it's 
everything whole, worked again the same everything way worked. that different when i saw this for the first time i was just mm-hmm. dying at this yeah dying laughing at the stupidest things i've watched this a few times recently because my son like Mm-hmm. I, I thought, hey, he might like Beavis and Butthead do America. I showed him a clip of Cornholio or something like that because I was, we were, we were playing. It was during the pandemic. We rented a little cottage and um, got away for a few days. And um, I showed him this. I, I, I did this imitation of Beavis. I went, I have the great Cornholio in it or whatever. And he was like, what is that? And so I showed him this YouTube clip of Beavis doing Cornholio. And I was like, okay. There we go. I have a picture of him, you know, with his shirt over his head doing that. Uh, And so we watched this and it was just like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Um, (laughs) This is the greatest day of our lives, Phoebus. (laughs) Yeah, that's totally what it was. He still loves it. And we watched the new one and we're watching the TV show and everything. Yeah, so it just, it still works. It just taps into that lizard id brain, I guess. You know what I think it is? I think there's a rule for... A lot of things in life, which is kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. And that's what this does. The voice acting, Mike Judge doing like both of them. So well, many voices too. Yeah. He does and both Beavis and Both of them he does and Anderson, Tom Anderson. And he does the teacher. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I can never remember the teacher's name for some how. reason. He does uh, Principal McVicker. David, David Van Dreisen, I think yeah. is his name. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Van Driesen. But yeah. Van Driesen? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. Just the simplicity of their lines and mm-hmm. giving them th- those voices that are so mm-hmm. distinct, but also like work really well against each other. It's something about the comedy, like all comes together with that. Simpl- just, I mean, just them saying, huh, this is cool. Like, it's funny. <laughs> It's hard to explain how <laughs> well it works well, because other they... people like my parents watch would watch this and be like, this is so fucking stupid. Like, why do you think this is funny? <laughs> how do you not my think it's wife funny? does not understand <laughs> this at all. I mean, she's she hates Beavis and Butthead so much. I mean, she like gets she looks like she's in physical pain when we watched Beavis this movie as a family. She was just like, she looked like it was painful to her. My son and my daughter were both laughing hysterically. My oldest, I don't know. He was somewhere in the middle. He seemed to think some of it was funny. Uh, he's got different tastes than than the other two. But um, yeah, so I mean, it just hits some people and some people it just completely misses them. Completely misses, and, yeah. I yeah. Don't know. They're fun so, to imitate. Yeah. <laughs> they have so many lines. All my notes are just lines. I know, I know. It's like even when they see the TV stolen and he's looking at this gag where he's just looking from the TV Uh, to the window. uh, 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 At the footprints. Yeah, the footprints. Whoa, I think I just figured something out, Beavis. This sucks. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this sucks more than anything that has ever sucked before. before. Yeah, we must find this butthole that stole stole our TV. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But then the, what's great about the movie, okay, and obviously we we would we could just quote the whole movie where we probably shouldn't we? do that. Come just on. go watch the movie. But, um, <laughs> but like 
at the very beginning, it just opens it up into this, that it's going to be big, you know, that you have them as kaiju and they're giant and it's on a big screen and you have the Starsky and Hutch opening is one of the funniest. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yeah. opening credits is so funny to me. You know, it's Charlie's Angels and Streets of San Francisco thing and the funk. You few cross Sorry. Beavis and Butthead. They will. Beavis and Butthead. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's so, so fantastic. And. But it's Even most the of the first, yeah. Beef somebody do America. <laughs> do America, yeah, is great. I mean, obviously, it's a play on you know Debbie does Dallas and that sort of thing. But it's we are ready to do you now. We're ready to do you now. Um, but there's this uh, sense that the f- whole first third or so of the movie is just an episode of the TV show. It's all mm-hmm. in Highland. It's um, at yeah. the school. It's at, you know, the different places they hang out. It's them on the couch. It's it, it's it's the familiar places. But mm-hmm. then when it expands out, and you, you like talk to Vin, Vin Dries, who says, it's like, I love that conversation, and I quote this all the time, where he says, you'll find that we don't need enter- TV to entertain us. <laughs> you said anus. <laughs> it's like, have you boys said, heard a word that I've said? Yeah. yeah. Anus. Anus. <laughs> yeah, I heard it too. <laughs> yeah. I have a question uh, for you. So is that going to be our new, like, <laughs> that's what she said now? <laughs> you said anus. <laughs> you said hard. Yeah. Hard. Um, whole. Um, it, it's, it's, just, uh, I just really like that. But then when they Seattle meet Seattle is in Washington, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, we can we can go see hole afterwards. <laughs> we can see, uh, hole, hole. Um, but <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but when they meet Muddy, who is played by Bruce Willis, who was at the time, I mean, he was one of the he was a big movie star mm-hmm. in 1996, and his wife is played by his actual wife at the time. Yeah. You know, Demi Moore. This is just like it, it's like it blows up. It's this. It's it's really it's a real movie. And you know, one of the things they talked about that is just insane to me. They talked about doing this as a live action film, and Mike Judge was like, "No, <laughs> no, <laughs> do not no. do that. This is a lot. That would not work at all." So I'm so glad. I'm trying to picture that, that and I don't do like that. it. <laughs> I know, and they said who it was, who they were going to cast. I was like, no, no, it would have been awful. But because well, that's another thing about them is that it's that weird like uh, '90s animation that I kind of miss is, too. Yeah. The way that they're yeah, like, it was just paint, exaggerated it's actually inked enough. And, yeah. Well, and it's, the, it's the drawing of the humans, the way they're like just exaggerated enough to be a yeah. little off, like their heads yeah. are too tall, you know, that kind of thing. Well, one of the things I like I is, miss is when they is when they laugh, they go off model. I like I like that's one of the things I like about Beavis and Butthead, like their hair moves and stuff like their faces mm-hmm. change and stuff like that when they talk. It's it's sort of like they're slightly off model. And I like that about this movie and it works for me. Whereas, you know, in something like The Simpsons, when they do that, it doesn't work at all. It doesn't look good. But for some reason here, it just is very funny. And I also love this line. You guys are late. Did we miss Baywatch? Baywatch. <laughs> uh, anyway. And then, okay. So when they get on the plane, I love Cloris Leachman. They does got she have Cloris big Sorry. Leachman. <laughs> yeah, she sure does. It's like, it's like I'll drink to that. Uh, but it's like, but Cloris yeah, Leachman 
Are you are you two headed to Las Vegas? Yes. <laughs> like, the way she says that is really funny. I mostly just plan on doing the slots. <laughs> yeah, I plan on doing lots of sluts too. This chick is like, pretty cool. <laughs> it's like sorry, sorry, I I uh, uh I have a little hard to hear, and you'll have to speak up. I think it's due to my heart palpitations. Oh really? <laughs> I poop too much. Well, maybe, oh, your well, lactose... maybe your lactose is intolerant. No, 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 no. no. I poop, I too, poop much. too much, and then I get tired. That is the most quoted line <laughs> for me with this movie. Is is whatever someone in our house is been in the bathroom a while. So, do you poop too much? It's like no, I poop too much, and then I get tired. <laughs> okay, so I'm hey, I'm sorry. Like, That's I know stuff. all. Of- I know all about being tired, and she, she gives him the caffeine pill. The no dose. Beavis oh, is my favorite. Like, what uh, else you too. got in there? Me, me too. <laughs> I love Beavis. It's like, and, and and Cornholio had to come into this because Cornholio, the Cornholio thing was just like that was the thing that just sort of took yeah. off in the later seasons of this, and Absolutely. it was just insane and. I just want to say all these lines like B B B A B B A. Well, even uh, still on the plane, <laughs> they do a they do a joke of their own joke too. Well, also like um, when the, the flight attendant helps Butthead and he just with the BC belt and he just goes, "I love you, I love you." Yeah. <laughs> well, then there's also when um, get out of the they're cockpit. doing the crazy you yeah. Said- <laughs> they're doing the crazy thing where they're just like rolling around on the plane and the beavis and the, we're gonna die <laughs> yeah <laughs> the yeah. plane takes off <laughs> butthead rolls into the cockpit and the pilot's like get the hell out of the cockpit <laughs> you, you said. said and then it gets cut off <laughs> yeah it's great it's great Again, it's subtly subtly brilliant in a way yeah they're kind of like skewering themselves in a way a little bit <laughs> well i love <laughs> what play, they get playing to- on their own jokes <laughs> Yeah, and he's like, B, B, reading the sign, boo. It's like, hey, this says Beavis. Yeah, and Boothead. It's like, hey, you know what this means? These guys have the same names as us. Oh, we should party. Where are those guys, anyway? Oh, man. says Beavis and Butthead says, that's all right. I don't want to know your real names anyway. Yeah. Every second of this movie is funny. I mean, I know, I I'm know. sorry. I'm sorry. If you if you don't find that to be the case, I'm, I can't help you. I mean, it's just the way <laughs> life is. Um, love Roller Coaster. I mean, come on. Yes. What a scene. I cannot listen to that song without thinking about Beavis and Butthead dancing. <laughs> and, and they do their like, little punching, that, punching dancing. <laughs> and that one digital shot where they go around them yes. from the disco ball. It's such a great yeah. moment. And it's or like, they're just like staring at the statue. <laughs> I love that Oops. so much. And then and then you know they're showing the montage of people like shaking dice, and then they show him <laughs> goes, looking like he's wh- whacking, whacking uh, off. <laughs> yeah, oh, whacking man. off in my tool shed. <laughs> <laughs> Boys are like a couple of spider monkeys. <laughs> the, 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 then when they meet Dallas, you know, Demi Moore is just, yeah. all right, you've got two seconds. Is that going to be enough, enough to time? <laughs> because and they're so, there to, to do her. Do her. 
<laughs> it's like, all right, I'll give you 20 if you go back and do him. Do a guy? No way. It's no like, way. well, I don't know. It is a lot of money. It's like, shut up, Beavis. I'm ready for love. <laughs> Okay, we're, 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 this is going to be intolerable to listen to if we keep doing it this way the whole time. But, um, this is it, Beavis. We're finally going to score. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. The way he does that inflection to Beavis's voice is like the fucking funniest. And he's like, no. Yeah. Thank God. (laughs) Yeah. I can't even do it right because I'm laughing too hard. But, no, it's, it's so good. It's so good. Well, I mean, and, <laughs> they got they get put on the bus on the tour bus it's like Rare. it's like hey check it out they butthead. Slut it's that from slut from the play <laughs> it's like you boys win a lot i travis took a beating Tra- travis and bob i took a beating <laughs> cool <laughs> but okay agent fleming um robert stack robert I... stack no unbelievable uh you know and he's doing his whole Elliot Ness thing. It's so great. It you As know the a body cavities search thing. Ugh. Yeah, and, and you know he he had done you know this sort of comedy before because he did Airplane, yeah. uh, where it's where it's the deadpan stuff. Yeah, he's just so good at it. I mean Leslie Nielsen obviously gets and correctly so. I think a lot of glory for that because he did a lot of it, but Robert Stack was so good at it too. He's so funny. He's so funny in this. And his voice just makes him funnier, you know, because he's got yeah. that like authoritative voice, but like the lines that they give him in this is yeah. uh, it's perfect. I, I, I think it's my favorite casting. talking about the the body cavity searchers searches and he's like, <laughs> I'm talking Roto Rooter. Don't stop till you reach the back of his teeth is one of the funniest lines in any movie ever. I'm sorry. <laughs> Not sorry. And then um, Greg Kinnear is is uncredited, Bork. I believe, as Bork. As yeah. Bork. I didn't hey, even realize it was him for the longest time. Yeah. Like, no, we're Washington. No. Actually, we're, we're at Washington. the Hoover Dam. No, no. 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 We're, we're in Washington. In Washington. <laughs> Uh, so it's a <laughs> yeah but i i think i think the the this is the whole the when they're ta- the, the commentary on on it's like they're actually interested in what the tour guide is saying here is really funny no, I'll, well, I'll, I'll be damned I'll, I'll be damned well that's that's a lot wow. really wow really uh, that's uh, I, I, I have a question um is this a goddamn <laughs> goddamn uh, yeah then of course it's like hey they've got tv in here this, this shows are all about water about water <laughs> what are you doing there's something wrong with my butt because she's that's put right the unit. The, the unit yeah let's put the unit in his why pants. does everyone want to see my schlong um this um, is really gonna be intolerable <laughs> this really will be okay so I'm anyway sorry. <laughs> to, to break it up a little bit, in our friendship dynamic between you and I, because clearly we've tapped into something here, right, in this conversation so far, which of us is Beavis and which one of us is Butthead? I can do a better Beavis impression, but I think I'm probably the Butthead in this relationship. I feel like I, I feel more like the Beavis in this relationship. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's not like I sit there and smack you and say, shut up, Michelle. Gosh, I don't do that. Yeah, we don't do that. We don't exactly do that. But, you know, I think I think you're more the free spirit. I'm a little bit more grounded. 
you're more the take charge, like in charge person. And I'm just I like, guess so. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. You're. You know what I always liked about Beavis the most, though, is that Butthead was always the one that was like a little more vocal and would like take charge more. But Beavis was always like the low key smarter one. Yeah. Or he well, would have those moments. Yeah, that's true. Where he would say something. That was actually pretty smart. Which I always it's liked. true. Like his speech uh, about never going to score. Yeah, we're n- we're, n- we're never going to. Sc- you're, 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 like you're like a thousand we're years old, and you've probably scored like a billion times. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, now, now my son looked this up, and apparently, you know, their their IQs are have been measured. I I don't oh, know really? what this is. Yeah. So I don't, this is not a reflection on on what we said at all. Okay, so don't don't take it that way. But apparently, Butthead is five IQ points smarter than Beavis. <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> but they're both morons. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's perfect for us. So perfect. Awesome. There we go. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I went, that's that's just what a little tidbit of information that he gave me. But um, I like that. yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, but it's I, like a, there's the ass. It's like the ass is coming, out, coming of out of the ass, ass, ass of, of the, the ass. ass. Yeah. I love the tour bus <laughs> montage. I think that is so yes. fantastic because you've got the ATF trying to ca- led by, of course, you know, Robert Stack trying to catch up with them. And so they're sending out all of these, you know, wanted posters and everything all around. Is a Jesus jumped up Christ. I think that's really funny. <laughs> But, you know, the taking the picture at the arch in, in Utah and stuff like that, and it's his fingers covering the picture. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then, of course, the town names. <laughs> Mititi. <laughs> Big Piney. White. Bald Knob. <laughs> Bald Knob. Mititi. Uh, that's my favorite. Mititi. <laughs> but. I've been to Butt, uh, Butte, Montana. Uh, I stayed the night in in. And yes, even before this movie came out, we were like, we're in butt Montana. We're in butt. <laughs> but. Uh, um, but. So when this movie came out, it was like, whoa, you have braces. I have braces too. <laughs> I have uh, braces It was too? amazing. Yeah. Now, the, the 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 Yellowstone scene is so funny at Old Faithful to me. I think that's uh-huh. funny. It's like where where the tour guide's saying, and this uh, comes out as, so uh, that's not that much really. Um <laughs> It's like, so, so. <laughs> it's like, and then they show the, uh, everyone looking, watching Old Faith, Faithful. Wow, that's beautiful. That's amazing. And then they show them. Wow, that's incredible. That's amazing. It's like, and it's the toy. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And it's the automatic, the automatic flushing. flushing. Yeah, I I love the nun bus scene. The nun bus mm-hmm. sequence is, is it's like, hey, whoa, we're on a bus with chicks. <laughs> it's like, hey, hey, butthead, this book kicks ass. There's this talking snake <laughs> and a naked chick. This dude put a, puts a leaf on his schlong. Or they go the to con- the church. Them the in confessional the confessional booth is so funny. <laughs> so funny. How many Hail Marys? A thousand. Uh, a thousand. I want you to hit yourself. You to hit yourself. <laughs> Harder. Do it. It's like, Do it now. It's like I, I I slept with another woman. Whoa, was she naked? The, uh, that I love when they're getting back on the bus and they get struck by lightning. <laughs> they get struck by lightning. <laughs> perfect. Just stand there. It's so absolutely great. perfect. And go into the petrified forest. That's it. You may ask yourself, how can wood get so, <laughs> get so hard? hard. 
Well, the wood got hard millions of years ago. <laughs> the way that the nuns, they realize that they can just like sneak away without them yeah. getting back on the bus. <laughs> They're crossing the desert. <laughs> hey, which way is Washington, D.C.? Uh, about 2,000 miles that, that way. Thanks. Oh, okay. Thanks. <laughs> they just start walking. <laughs> Well, when they're out in the desert, it's so funny because, I mean... This desert is stupid. They need to put a <laughs> drinking fountain out here. <laughs> the sun sucks. Yeah, we're like 7-Eleven. <laughs> yeah, the, the sun sucks. It's like, let's see my... This is a, uh, now, before that, they meet their fathers, right? They, this is why yeah. they, they meet their fathers out in the desert. Now, I didn't know this, but Butthead's dad is played by David Letterman, <laughs> which just... <laughs> That's crazy. Kind of knocks my socks off. I never thought that. W- I always thought it was Mike Judge just doing the older voice. Because they showed the, on the TV show, they had like the old versions of Beavis and Butthead. And Butthead's like really, really fat. And, and, and oh. uh, Beavis is like decrepit. Uh, and they pretty much drew him just like that in this scene. Um, so okay. I just always assumed it was Mike Judge. But. No, I, I found out from that thing. It was That's David funny. Letterman wanted to do a, <laughs> yeah. We also have the the lesbian seagull uh, <laughs> montage. No, and the fact that they bring that song back in the closing credits sung by, who, who, who was it, like Tony Bennett or something, or Tom Jones, I think, sings it, come with me, lesbian seagull. So it has sort of that Vegas thing going on. Oh, God, I love that so much. She lifts her voice oh to release God. the mating call. Caw, caw, It's like, Bork, you are a federal agent. Never end a <laughs> Never sentence end a with sentence. a preposition. That um, guy off in um, whose camper who's they were whacking. They were whacking, yeah. <laughs> That's better. My whole life is flashing before my eyes. <laughs> Whoa. My life was cool. Life was cool. It's like, oh, it's, it, it's like a too. music video. <laughs> <laughs> you keep my lines. Is that it? Oh, sorry. I remember something the, too. The, 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 a really the sperm, long time ago. <laughs> the, the, the sperm thing is so funny, though. <laughs> the big head. I just, yeah, I scored. <laughs> I scored. Um, and the Rob Zombie music video, I guess he sent them like still drawings because mm-hmm. MTV was pressuring Mike Judge to put music videos into the movie and he didn't want to do that. Uh, so this was like the best he could come up with. Yeah. And, I like it. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, seeing it in the theater was just like, whoa, that because it, it's just sort of a break from the kind of animation that it's been for so mm-hmm. long. And it's just like there's so much going on there. And it's, you know, obviously it's a variation on the uh, Rob Zombie style. Uh, it's not exactly it, which is what one of the things that makes it so fun to watch. But. Now, it's just a little bit coincidental here that Muddy just happens to find them out in well, the middle of the desert. <laughs> well, they do. They try to justify it when he, like, asks the police, is, like, oh, is it oh, safe to drive true. around? It's like, oh, they're, they're probably hiding out in the desert. So he just, like, goes out and finds them, apparently, yeah. In the middle of it. the desert, yeah. <laughs> he wakes them up. I'm all wet. Oh. Any <laughs> last words? Uh, I have a couple. Butt cheeks. Yeah, and boobs. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, they're putting them in the trunk, and they're riding forever. Jack. Jack. <laughs> hey, look, Beavis. Hey, Beavis. I'm jacking off. I'm jacking off. 
And it takes them like so long to figure out how the how to work the jack to get out of the trunk. Just start running really fast when you hit the. I don't know, but that road's moving pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's so good though. I mean, but it's like it's so funny. And they, they get in the they you know they get in the crash. There's a big crash, and there's the tour bus. Hello, Travis and Bobhead. It's that chick. It's that chick. Uh, is it Seattle and Washington? We already did that line. Um, <laughs> but I love, what, okay, so they go to the Capitol and it's like, hello, uh, chick with the, attention, chick with the big hooters. We are ready to do you now. <laughs> to do you now. <laughs> and then all of Congress starts laughing like Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> I think that is actually a really, really smart joke in its way because, you know, it's a little bit of a commentary on congress and government too which i think is pretty funny <laughs> well and so. just the whole the, the way that they the fbi guys think that they're like the smartest criminals in the world because they keep evading accidentally them. evading and eluding them and like yeah. not even being aware of it well i'll be a blue nose gopher yeah you see them on tv <laughs> it's just funny. I mean, the fact that they figure out that, oh, they're heading to Washington. They must be going to the G7 summit or whatever it is, or, or GPAC. 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 <laughs> because this, uh, the X5 unit is like some kind of deadly yeah. virus. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, they're so smart. Like, Imagine them releasing this in Washington, D.C. Or, or selling it to worse, some damn selling foreigner. Selling it to some damn foreigner. Yeah, that's a I great know. line. That is so funny. That And that is, that that is, I think, genuinely smart satire there. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I mean, anyway, that's part of why this movie works is because you have the serious and realistic element up against the absolute ludicrousness of uh, Travis and Bobhead. Um, here, so. <laughs> the only way that the movie works is that everyone else is normal, yep. you know, and everything, their reactions to all of this stuff is normal. Even all this shit, like on the plane or whatever, yes. when they're yelling and they're rolling around on the plane. It's not. It's only the two of them. It's like they're in their own their own little world. Yeah, <laughs> and everybody else is normal around them. That's the only way that this kind of comedy works, I think. You know? I think so too. I think so too. And it's some, but it's not. It never goes into sort of like the farcical category, like yeah, uh, airplane exactly. does. It's it, it's, it's kinda, an interesting just tonal. Touches it. Yeah, it's a tonal balance that really works, though. Beavis's speech on the bus, you know, <laughs> that's that's it. We're never gonna score. Is <laughs> the way that's like that that's, up, that uplifting music. The behind music. It. We're never gonna score. We're never gonna score. We're never gonna it's score. Like, you shut up right now. Shut up, asswipe. Asswipe. Um, yeah. <laughs> this chick is it's, a slut. Look at this guy. He's, he's old. <laughs> he's probably scored. But he's probably times. scored a million times. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's, it's so funny. But then, then we have like all of the elements. Every loose element of yeah. the plot just converges on this point because you got Andersons showing up. You've got yeah. Cornholio coming back. You've got the G-Pack Summit, the unit, you know, the body cavity search ends up with Butthead gets his, did I just score? Um, but, and then, of course, whacking in Anderson's camper. It's like it, it it all it all comes back Beavis, together. Beavis in the Oval Office, though, um, oh. like on the phone, <laughs> Mr. President, you must give us the codes. My bunghole goes. 
Well, one of the things I think is funny while he's doing the Cornholio thing, there's like a pref- press conference going on and yeah. they're walking by. He says, it's like, okay, there are rumors about a weapon. This room, These rumors about a weapon being uh, are unfounded. And then you see Beavis walking back and forth out there and he's, <laughs> you know, he's got the, this weapon in his pants, you know, sewn yeah. <laughs> into his pants. And it's just completely eluded the government, I think is, that's pretty I mean, you could read that in a way that's pretty dark where you think of, because I've been hearing these stories about people getting in, because I was listening to the, I'm listening to the audio, audio, uh, the audio book of the autobiography of Ozzy Osbourne. And he talked about how he was invited to like the correspondence dinner, you know, during the height of the Osbournes thing. And when he was really, really popular with all that. And one of his assistants like got through security by literally walking under a rope and getting around it. I mean, it said and Ozzy Osbourne, Ozzy fricking Osbourne was saying that security at the White House correspondence dinner was a joke. So I think that is and this was post 9-11. So I just find that to be really, really fascinating. And then you hear about, you know, the people like that got into the Obama White House uh, pretending they were guests and all sorts of things like that. They got into like some high state dinner or something like that, pretending that they were invited, but they weren't just because they played the part. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of frightening. I mean, they were not malicious at least, but um, they were just kind of fans of the president and wanted to be there. But it was crazy that these things would happen. And so it's just sort of this comment yeah. on sort of the ineptitude of this gigantic government, you know, yeah. it's really, really kind of out that they're outsmarted funny. by Beavis and Butthead. Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> exactly. is so funny. Uh, it's kind of Dr. Strangelove stuff going on because, you know, it's like go to DEFCON 4 you know, all that. And I've never seen Dr. Strange. <laughs> oh, huh? Oh my gosh. You got to see Dr. Strange. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I will. You get to fill in a couple of Kubrick blind spots there. I'm not going to say the other one. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. And we will. Anyway, one of my favorite moments though, in the whole movie is where butthead sees Chelsea Clinton. And it says, Whoa. So, <laughs> I notice you have braces. I have braces, I have too. Braces <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah. so then she throws him out the window. Out the it's, window. Like, <laughs> it's really funny. Um, it's like, and just like the subtlety of where, the Where's the unit? That I love. <laughs> In my pants. Can I go now? <laughs> yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I always liked like just the subtlety of the animation, like the way that their eyes will get just like a little bit wider on some yeah. of their lines too. It's just I don't know why that kind of works together as being funny. Like when um, Beavis at the beginning of the movie when he takes a drink of uh, Anderson's soda and like that's how he destroys his team. This crap is warm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and or whatever they were, they go whoa, <laughs> and their eyes like be like Butthead does here, like when all the guys have their their guns pointed at him. Yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Cool. Like that's why that's why I think Beavis about works. It's like it's just the simplicity of it. Yeah, is just there's just something like easily under understandable and relatable yeah. about that like it yeah. doesn't all comedy doesn't have to be like super smart no. um you know quick-witted stuff like this this kind of stuff is just as effective 
Yeah. Obviously, because we're like laughing like hyenas here. <laughs> yeah, like, this dumbest stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the uh, this this ending is it's like, well, what are you doing in here? Hey, put your pants back on, boy. Back on, boy. Uh, um, show, bring well, it, they, they do that the show same us, way. Show us the unit. Um, why does everyone want to see my schlong? See my schlong. Yeah. <laughs> well, they do that the same way as they, they did earlier with uh, Butthead and like the window and the missing TV and stuff. It's Beavis yeah. like looking at the camper, looking at the picture of Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> and, then it, right. and then it cuts to the Washington Monument. <laughs> It's oh, fucking hilarious. It's perfect. Well, sh- <laughs> then you know you see the camper shaking. And, like, you know, <laughs> it's like those boys are like a couple of spider monkeys. Comes back into mind. Uh, I've got to straighten up in here now. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite lines for some reason is like um, he comes out and like the the agent like grabs the pants and the, the unit comes flying out. You know, <laughs> and Butthead catches it and he just goes, uh. Here you go. Here you go. I love that. I don't know why. I love that. And then everybody everybody cheers. It's all over. And then then they meet something. Someone very special wants to meet you. And it's Bill Clinton. (laughs) It's Bill Clinton. I love that scene. I think it's uh, Beavis and Butthead. uh, We want to thank you for your... For your service to your fellow Americans. I think it's so funny. And since we've made you honorary... uh, agents in the, <laughs> the bureau of alcohol tobacco and firearms <laughs> whoa <laughs> alcohol and cigarettes kick ass yes <laughs> it's like yeah we're in the thing of beer and cigarettes <laughs> and fire firearms <laughs> and then you know it's like, and then ultimately they get home and they find they their find TV, the TV, oh. and all is right with the world, you know. Yeah. It's like, and everything's set back to the beginning where it was, and it's just perfect. It's like, and, and you know, they're walking Butt down the street, and w- literally walking into the sunset, calling each other, you know, turd burglar and ass goblin. <laughs> now, I'll admit that uh, some people's mileage may vary on how funny they find the word bungle. Right. For the end, because because <laughs> much of much of the last act of this film is predicated on how funny you find bunghole, but it's, it's fucking hilarious. It's really really funny. That's <laughs> what I have to think. I'm yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. But the way he starts singing, he does the Cornholio thing and I Cornholio. Okay, scene. Scene. So, um, anyway. There you go. There it is. There you uh, go. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there, there it is. <laughs> Deliverance and Beavis and Butthead do America. <laughs> do Two go? great films about masculine <laughs> friendship. And yeah, then you can go along to the sequel. Uh, oh, hello. I want to watch that so bad now. I'm gonna. Go, I think yeah. I'm gonna have to rent that tonight. <laughs> yeah, watch Beavis and Butthead do the universe. Worth it. Yeah, it's like, you may wonder where we've been for the past few years. Well, it's a story of two heroes on a journey to score. (laughs) It's pretty funny. I mean, I think Beavis and Butthead Do America is better, but uh, Beavis and Butthead Do the Universe has a lot to like about it. Uh, It's pretty funny. Yeah. I saw some little clips that I I really liked (laughs) that made me interested in the rest of it. I watched like the... 
I watched like the first 15 minutes of it this morning and was uh-huh. still like, oh my gosh, this is so, this is just too good. Okay. I, it's so funny. And I hadn't even gotten to the real meat of the movie yet. It was <laughs> meat. Okay. Um, anyway. Um, <laughs> you said meat. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it starts off with, with uh, masturbation jokes and space and st- it's, it's, uh, uh, masturbation. <laughs> masturbation. Um, so anyway, um, you stop, can listen stop, to our episode on Beavis and Butthead Do America, or you could just watch the movie. I think. <laughs> that's about as deep as we went. <laughs> yeah, but that's okay. We, we, we talked about a couple of things beyond that though. Um, so hope you enjoyed that anyway. Yes. So we do have apparently a couple of recommendations I don't really have one to go to with Beavis and Butthead to America. It I is a either. singular it's, work of deliverance. art. <laughs> Minus <Right>? two. <laughs> Nothing can top. <laughs> I do not recommend watching Mars Attacks at this after watching Beavis and Butthead to America. It just, Why? I, it just didn't work. Mars Attacks it, is funny. <laughs> Mars Mars Attacks is funny, but it's it needs to be separated from Beavis and Butthead to America. They don't work as a double okay. feature. Trust yeah. me on this. I too bad. I know this to be the case. So what's your recommendation? Uh, my recommendation is pairing, like I said, to go along with Deliverance is one that I don't think that you've watched yet. I'm not for sure. Um, but it's absolutely kind of a similar thing about like male friendships and survival. Um, the Grey from 2011. Oh, I've not seen that. That's the uh, Liam Neeson one, right? It, yes. With wolves. You have to watch it. It is, it's actually such a, it's a really, really good movie. It's um, these guys um, who work in an oil refinery in Alaska. Liam Neeson, is, his job is to basically like shoot any like wolves you know, to protect the workers like while they're working. And they get into um, a plane crash and a bunch of them are stranded in the wilderness and obviously they have to fight wolves. But it's, uh, it is such a... It's also, like I said, just such a good um, representation of like male male bonding, male relationships, ma- male friendships, and like how it works in a, a survival situation like this. And uh, really, really, really good movie. You, you would love it, I think. You got to watch cool. it. Didn't I give it to you? Wasn't that one of the movies I that so. I, I sent to you? Watch mm-hmm. it. I believe so. And that, I, and, and Anaconda. I haven't watched Anaconda. <laughs> Watch the gray first. Okay. <laughs> it's enough. a better movie. It's a way better movie. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, okay. And actually one of the scenes in, in the gray really reminded me of, of Drew's death. I wish I could talk about it, but you haven't seen it. So I won't. Don't spoil, spoil it for me, man. I won't spoil anything. Yeah. But it's yeah. like just such a really intense, but like really well shot scene. The whole movie is, um, and Liam Neeson is amazing. So a great cast uh great story i love i love this movie so much cool i'm gonna mention something real quick and that is the last movie star i think would go well with deliverance to see burt reynolds in his youth compared to burt reynolds in one of his very last films Mm -hmm. where and he even is cut into a scene from deliverance in in the movie in a really clever way and i think it comments further on sort of the masculinity and the image again it's really fascinating uh that was a really good movie and that's one that is more i think about it the more i like it but my actual recommendation is going to be a movie that's on shutter 
and it's been on Shutter for a long time, uh, but it's part of the folk horror set. And it's not really a horror movie, though, in my opinion. I there was a shot. There are two shots in the movie that make me think horror movie, but otherwise, it's just a drama, a really powerful drama called Clear Cut. It's a Canadian film from nineteen. 19- 91 I think it is and it's got Graham Greene as this uh, Native American who kidnaps the guy who runs the mill that is clearing out the forest as well as the lawyer who lost the case against them for the tribe Uh, so the tribe was he the tribe hired this lawyer and he lost the case and so it's just kind of a interesting depiction but also it's a lot of it is just about that nature the destruction of nature nature coming up against the quote-unquote civilized world a lot of that kind of sensibility going on uh it was quite good uh graham green is remarkable in it as well i was so. i was really curious about that one yeah, yeah it's, i think it's, Lindsay recommended this on mm-hmm she had it was one of her pairings on a show that I did with her. So I was awesome. I was looking into it, but I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, it's it was. I finally it watched it early this morning, and it's good. Okay, so I forgot to look was, what we've got going on. I next know time. that's what I was just doing. I was looking up what um our next episode was, so we could tease it. And this was one that we actually just added in to our calendar. It wasn't originally oh, we're already there. there. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's a topic that I think both of us are pretty passionate about, like currently. So this is probably the perfect time to get into it. We're yeah. going to talk about some uh, movies that get into um, everything, a lot of th- stuff having to do with uh, social media. Yes. So. I don't know who's really bringing what. We're both kind of bringing them both. I think if you're p- bringing one, it's probably the first one. I would say, right? Yeah, okay. I don't think so. I found it yeah. first, so yeah. It's you, yeah. <laughs> Well, technically, you found the other one first, too, but, you know, hey. That's uh, true. Though, I, did see it though I, 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 I heard about it <laughs> elsewhere, though. You convinced um, me I've to actually, watch yours. Uh, one of the ones we are going to do is was re- mentioned just recently, actually, is one of my favorite movies from 2022. Um, we're going to talk about Vengeance. Yes, and I'm going to talk about, uh, bring one of my favorite discoveries from 2022, which was uh, 2017's, I believe, uh, Ingrid Goes West. Two movies that really, I don't know, they're pretty biting about what social media is and how it affects people and society. It's a pair of good movies, though. Really entertaining in their way they depict all this as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So speaking of social media, um, you can <laughs> you can find me uh, on the socials at Brian Waves forty two if you so desire. You can sort of find me, I guess, occasionally, <laughs> mostly just on Instagram, uh, just at Michelle Agan over there. Yeah, and you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Movie Life Pod. Uh, Elon Musk went and cleared out all our sex bots, so we lost like a hundred followers Damn in it. the past week. So I liked those porn bots. I want. Them I back. know, I know. So, um, so if you can help us build our social media following back up, that would be <laughs> fantastic. You know, get us back over nine hundred. We're down. <laughs> we were at we were at nine hundred and twenty one. We're now at eight hundred and twenty six. So. I was like, hey, we're getting so close to a thousand. And 
Yeah, a thousand. And hit yourself. Hit yourself. <laughs> and, anyway, so uh, <laughs> tangent. Um, so we're, you know, I mean, part of it's probably my fault. We don't spend that much time uh, really going with the social media, with the Twitter handle stuff but you know. um it is hugely my fault because yeah. i haven't even been on twitter in three months so yeah and maybe the discussion we have next week uh next time will be a clue as to why <laughs> so uh i think i think it's it's some interesting stuff that is uh gonna be discussed in those episodes okay for sure so this was quite yeah, was a double really fun to- <laughs> was really i fun am today, actually i am <laughs> Are you I'm satisfied? Really You're so proud. Pumped. Yeah. <laughs> I'm. Oh, I am satisfied. <laughs> anyway, the, I'm gonna be a. Uh, I'm gonna be an annoying pre-adolescent all day long. I? It's gonna be cool. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So, what are we gonna do? Uh, we will see you all next time.